Good morning. I forgot to turn this one on. Greet you in Jesus' name. Guess I'm going to have to watch my expression harder if I look like I was all saddled up and ready to go. I'm not even quite sure what to change there, so I'm going to have to ask Ernie afterwards. Um, no, I do want to do the best for whatever God has for me, and that'd be for you. Uh, before I get into that, Brian, you want to look at song number 922 to see if you make sure you know that one. I know some of the words seem familiar, but I wasn't quite sure if the tune was the one I was thinking of with everything else on my mind. I wasn't quite sure I was going to try to stretch it and find out. Um, yeah, it is a blessing to be here. I was just thinking what a blessing it is that uh, most of my favorite people are at one place because it would uh, be tough otherwise. So, yes, I do have some other people I enjoy visiting too for that matter. It's good to be here. I'm trying to think uh, what to share. Uh, there's a couple things running together in my mind here. Maybe we'll start out by asking you a couple questions. Um, as you think about the future in general or in specific, how do you feel about it? How do you feel about the future? I was thinking perhaps, uh, and I think this is probably just a natural man way, is maybe age plays some role in how, to, how you view the future, I don't know. Uh, when you're very young, you can have a pretty good rosy tint on the future. You look forward to your birthdays a lot more than it seems like you do after a while. Now, notice you get really old sometimes as birthdays start getting special again, so uh, that doesn't quite hold true. But then there's other things like, uh, it seems like, I think I've done it thinking back over my life. Uh, I think I have some people in my house that do it. They almost live from one exciting event to the other, or they try to. Uh, for me, Everyday life is about exciting enough. I mean, it's not. I'm still glad I get to do some outside of everyday life things, but it's not that I live from one event to the other, I don't think. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It probably varies. Some same people, in thinking about the future they have, they can't wait to get there. And if you're in that stage, I don't mean to dampen you, but I'm going to suggest that probably you got some growing to do in your appreciation for the current. Uh, if you can't wait to get to the future, it's pretty good right where you're at. Um, so I want to say that first. And the, some of the others, I've noticed some other people, when they consider the future, they hope it never arrives. Uh, they're just pretty happy right where they're at, and they would just soon hit a button that, and hold things like that. Maybe you felt that way. I know I have a few times. Uh, if you could just pause life at a certain point. Now, I'm not necessarily saying maybe I felt like that across the board about all of life, but I have, uh, especially in regards to my children, let's say, yeah, I guess have major handicap issues or something where they don't grow on one hand. On the other hand, they grow so fast, and I think I've tried to convince every daughter that I've had that it would be great just to stay small, and they disagree strongly with me. Uh, I guess they're glad I don't have that option because I probably would exercise it on at least one or so, you know, just hold them there. Um, So I don't know, in some ways this whole thing can get a bit convoluted. I understand that you had a message on contentment two weeks ago. And there's a part of contentment where you are happy right where you are. And I don't want to take away from that. In fact, I'd like to touch on it a bit, not to rehash that. But at the same time, I think sometimes that can, the desire to just pause life can sort of be separate from contentment, if I may say so, in that maybe you're content to content. Uh, there can be a contentment that comes from God, perhaps, and a contentment that just with life and circumstances. Uh, in talking, especially in thinking about some of the things that we're face working together on as a church outreach, all that. I had uh, somebody that's pretty close to me tell me that they just don't think about it. And uh, I guess that'll be successful for a while. Uh, sooner or later, things that you don't think about, at least of that nature, if other people are thinking about, come and whop you anyway. So in some ways, you might as well 
do some preconditioning. On the other hand, uh, you can overthink it, and I think that's probably sometimes my fail. Where I fail is overdoing it. Um, I should have maybe asked Jason if I could say this or not, Jason Miller. Um, I know when we were working, thinking someone should go to Florida, I sort of went through all the pain of thinking about all the, this would entail, and I spent quite a few weeks, so finally I just got to the place where I just surrendered it to God. I still know the time and place I did that, and it was, it was difficult, and I think I overthought it. And then uh, for Jason, I noticed that he didn't seem to worry about it at all till he pulled that book, and then it, he went through the exact same stage after he was chosen as I did somewhat before. And maybe there's personality, maybe there's other things involved there. I think we can definitely overthink. So maybe just not thinking about it plays some role. I don't mean to disparage that. I had somebody else that I work closely with say, um, I don't want an outreach. And you know, um, I, I f could have, still would, could say amen to that very loudly and strongly. Maybe that surprises you, I don't know. Um, but I don't exactly, some changes in life I'm okay with, some I'm not so much. Yet as I thought about this whole thing, I guess my, well, my title this morning is Responding to Life's Changes. Responding to Life's Changes, and I know I preached on change some years ago here, but that was more specific in thinking as a church considers change. Here I'm just talking about the changes life brings. You know, I can choose to try to not change. I can try to just deny change. But at the end of the day, life is changing whether I like it or not, right? I can, if I think that I can somehow hold my children at a certain age and deny that they continue to grow, deny that change is happening, I'm fooling no one but myself. And I know I do this in humor, and I'm probably going to continue to do that. But uh, I think I told someone recently that when we were in Pensacola some time ago there at uh, Vernon Martin's house, they had a cup on the kitchen that said the secret to a happy life or something is to choosing an age and sticking with it. And I like to pretend to do that. Uh, but, you know, that's impossible. I know it. Uh, like I said, I'm going to keep pretending it's doable, but it's not. It changes whether we like it or not. Uh, you can only fool yourself. And back, especially thinking about in changes, maybe the things that we face as a church specifically being somewhat at the heart of this. You know, I think sometimes the surest way to lose what we have is to be selfish and try to keep what we have. Does that make sense? I'm not saying that we don't value what we have, that we don't um, hold it precious, that we don't hold it dear. At the same time, you know, just going back to being a parent, you know, the, probably the surest way for me to ruin a future relationship with my daughters is to try to force them to be a three- or four-year-old their whole life. You think that's going to work for me? I don't think. We can see that that wouldn't work. And then when we apply that thought in other areas, I think it has the same. Life is changing, whether we like it or not. And uh, sometimes we just have to buck up and accept that those changes are coming. And it, uh, I guess back to the outreach thing specifically, you know, while I could have said amen to not changing our church to just continuing as we are here as much as I would love that. After all, I told you it's pretty neat to have so many people that I love so dearly in one spot. I do not look forward at all to changing that. Um, as I thought about, I don't think, I guess, my assessment would it be that even if we were to try today just us just here just this way for all of life it wouldn't work for us anyway would it i don't think so in fact uh, i've heard uh, some people sort of insinuate that the way to have church problems is to start a sister church or a church plant um and i've seen that happen yeah i have i'm not living in denial here at the same time i've also seen churches that don't do anything have church problems interestingly enough and I think it comes down to where our focus is, and I want to touch a bit on that. It's why, why do we do what we do? If we're in some way trying to pat ourselves on the back or with pride in our hearts trying to start an outreach, yeah, we're going to have problems. Don't fool yourself. On the other hand, if we just try to sit here and try to be comfortable, we're going to have problems too. Uh, that's the nature of human 
us as humans is to do things in such a way that whenever we try to preserve what we hold precious and are become unwilling to share it, it becomes something that bites us. So how do you feel about future? How do you feel about change? How should we respond to life's changes? Uh, because of some changes, actually changes I didn't enjoy. <laughs> My dad is, uh, last weekend there, they were there as well. It was interesting, we were talking about different things and I showed him a picture of our project here near Strawberry. And uh, I sort of knew how dad feels about that stuff from the get-go and he, he just doesn't think, he just thinks you're happy with what you have, you don't need to upgrade things much. and. Uh, I told him, well, in this case, I would have been actually completely more happy to stay with what I had, but I did the upgrade in an effort to bless other people as much as anything. And I've almost, and don't, I don't want anybody here to feel bad. I wasn't pushed into it, but I almost regretted it in that I hate moving. Oh, I just hate moving. Even if, even if my desk or my shop looks a little messy to some of you occasionally, I still know where my stuff is. Uh, when I move, I just don't know where it is, and it brings out my insecurities or something because uh, I just oh, I hate it. I could much rather just shift or put an addition on. That's my style. To just move to a different location ain't my thing, not one little bit. I'm happy to do it, but it's just not. And so partly because of that change, having this driving a bit and I noticed something. I wonder if you know where I've been driving. See if you can figure out. I uh, know I'm not the best, uh, what do they call that? Cartographer, person that makes maps. But let's see here. I think it comes something like this. Now we're gonna draw us another road that comes something like this. Then we're gonna draw another road that goes something like this. To, and then I wanna talk about something right here. So y'all know where you're at? Yeah, there you go. So we call this, uh, we'll just call this road 230, right? Uh, this is 319 here, I believe. This is Ballpark Road, I think, at least my map called it. Does anybody know what's right in that corner? A pothole? Well, <laughs> there's probably more than one of those. Uh, I went out, but I was actually thinking sort of, uh, let's say it's about 10, 15 feet off of both these roads, maybe more like 20 actually. There's something sort of unique right in that corner. Uh, that's the other side of the road, or up the other road. Anybody else want to try? You're talking like a little, like a little swampy area or something. Yeah, there is, and there's something in that area that I'd like to talk about. Beaver dam. A beaver dam. There may be. I haven't gone wading around in it, so I can't help you with that one. There's a sycamore tree there, and uh, probably that poor thing's going to get looked at more than it ever has actually today. So that's fine. There's a little sycamore tree there, and if you look at that tree. I just got to noticing, I've seen the tree before, and I, I did know it was somewhat deformed just more recently, somehow I got to looking at it. And that tree, maybe some of you have been here enough longer than me, I've been what, I forget now, I'm getting all mixed up here. I've been around here, headed on 19 years, and I don't know when that happened to that tree, but it looked like I had a rough time in life. Uh, it's sycamores I used to usually grow and then they branch a lot but this thing is twisted it's got some really funny twists in it It grows around anyways you go look at it I'm not going to describe it to you all day here but I'd like to come back and think about that tree so just think about that little sycamore tree in the swampy area just outside of strawberry for a bit here now I also want you to think of one other thing for me uh, you don't need to and I don't I don't necessarily want to know it'd be interesting actually but I'll let you keep this in your mind but is there a Christian whom you really admire? And when I said a Christian, I'm talking because of being a Christian, you admire them. How they live for Christ, how they walk with God, how they um, just are what they are as a Christian. I'd like for everybody to think of a Christian they can really admire this morning. Uh, 
just somebody that if you think of them, they're an inspiration to you by the life, by their life, by how they live for God and do for God. Okay, enough time. To, you all have somebody in mind. Okay, good. Most of you. Now, I have absolutely no idea about who you thought about. I know who I think about. But I can tell you something about the person you thought about. And that is that that person has had some experiences in life that you would rather not have. Is that right? If you know them very well at all, I can almost guarantee you they had some experiences in their life they would rather not have had. And that you would rather not replicate. You would like, you would probably like what they have in their Christian life, but you wouldn't really want what got them that perhaps. At least it's that way for me. You know, that person, I think it's safe to say, if you know them well, and if you don't, I think I can still say it, that person has experienced some above average, we'll say, difficulties. And here's a phrase I came across last night in trying to just research some things that came to my attention. And it, as I thought about it, it blessed me. God writes his best stories in the bleakest moments. God writes his best stories in the bleakest moments. Maybe you file that way away in your brain somewhere and keep it there. That's what I want to do. And the next time I face a bleak time, remember, God writes his best stories in the bleakest moments. So I'm going to give you some examples of how to relate to change. I'm going to start with the negative and then phase into the positive. So I'd like, we'll just start in Genesis. So why don't you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19. As humans, I think we have some fairly natural tendencies in when we think of change. Like I said, there's some people that they can't wait to get to it, but usually experience tempers some of that. You know, especially something like outreach. Uh, if you're here, I was talking to a young man last weekend, a nephew of mine, and he felt, he sort of felt that you should be enthusiastic about every big problem God brings into your life. And I told him, well, I'd much rather hold this conversation with you after you're 30 than when you're 20. It just... I, I'm, I can't really talk to the 20-year-old about it. I'm glad. You know, don't get me wrong. 20, whatever age you are, if you are so full of enthusiasm that anything that comes hurtling down at the pike is just another great opportunity for, for God to show himself strong, well, God bless you. Keep up the enthusiasm. And I'm trying to build mine, but you might have to come help me. Um, I need a little help now and again. It's not that I'm running it down. It's like I've told him. I've told other youth already. Youth without idealism and enthusiasm are scary. They'd, it's terrible to be burnt out. You get burnt out enough in life. So that's great. I'm not running youth down. What I'm saying is it sometimes makes a difference how you look. And, you know, if we were to go into an outreach or anything else major and just think, oh, this is going to be a great adventure, let me tell you right now, you're crazy. Uh, it might be an adventure for a couple of you, but it's going to be a lot of blood, blood sweat, and tears. Uh, I have no qualms about that at all can almost guarantee you in fact i'm afraid it's going to burn up some enthusiasm that doesn't exist but maybe god can give it uh, so let's just look at human tendencies in in responding to changes so i'm going to probably look at this people that view change more negatively for the most part because i think that's probably where a lot of us will find ourselves at least in some ways at some time so the first one is looking back so let's read genesis chapter 19 verse 15 through 17 and then verse 26. So we have Lot living in Sodom. We have the angels leaving uh, Abraham and coming to Sodom, trying to get him out. You know, all the horrible happenings of that night. I'm not going to go into it. And when the morning arose, 1915, and when the morning came, the angels hasted Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters. The Lord being merciful unto him and brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass that when they brought them forth abroad that he, the angel said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou at all in the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Jumping down to verse 26. But his wife looked back excuse me, looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. 
You can have all your opinions you want to about Lot, but I feel sorry for him on this day. Can you imagine? He tried to do the best thing he knew. Tried to save some strangers for a horrible fate. Tried to spend, after nearly sharing that fate, he spent the rest of the night trying to convince, according to the Bible, convince his son-in-laws to leave the city with him, and they laughed at him. Humanly speaking, its lot was in a terrible spot. And he finally basically gets drug outside the city and told to go. With his wife and two daughters. Escape for thy life, look not behind thee. He did beg to stay in a small city and was allowed that. But then as they're going, his wife turns around and looks back. And became a pillar of salt. What a day. It's interesting, you don't need to turn to it, but in Luke chapter 17, Christ mentioned this past this day this experience i'll just read luke 17 verse 31 in that day he which shall be upon the housetop and i think he's referring to the last day christ's return possibly the destruction of jerusalem i'm not sure i'm going to be smart enough to tell you 100 or maybe a combination but in that day when things are happening fast and coming fast he which is upon the housetop and his stuff in the house let him not come down to take it away and he that is in the field let him likewise not return back Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Looking back, I don't know. It's, it's, Lot's wife has been something that's intrigued me for years, and I don't know that I can totally explain why God made such a terrifically graphic example of her. But friends, this morning, I have a problem with looking back. I don't know. I'll go let it with you whether you do or not. But looking back, looking back at possessions, things that are important to me, looking back at people, looking back at experiences. May I ask you this way, or ask myself, what defines me? I had used that phrase uh, here, was it? about two weeks ago and uh, later afterwards my wife said one of the ladies came and asked her and she said she about didn't able, mean about couldn't grasp what I was trying to say and what defines you what defines me am I who I am because and then you fill in what you want to because of certain possessions because of a position I fill because of the family I'm part of because of some experience in my past. Because of some gift or talent that I have. If you're defined by something, let me say it another way. It is very important to you that other people know this about you. Right? If you're defined by something. What, what, is, what do you want other people to know about you? If you meet someone that's never met you before and you click, so to speak, you just have a good visit and you're 30 minutes into your visit, what do you find yourself really wishing they knew about you? What defines you? Some other tests or illustrations of how does this possession, gift, position, past experience, family, how does it affect where and how I serve today. You know, I've seen some people that basically told God no when he asked them to serve in some capacity and they said they would serve in another because they were defined by something in their past. I'm not saying that God doesn't use past experiences and things because he does. At the same time, if I decide how, if I pick and choose how I serve God based on something in my past, you are defined by that, my friend. Do I excuse certain behaviors or allow certain problems in my life to continue because of this experience or that thing? All those are ways that I'm defined by something. You know, if I'm defined by things in my past... I will continually revolve around them. And I guess it's a real burden I have, and I know I shared some of this with you, but I see many people that want to tell me they have forgiven 
maybe bad experiences they've had, bad church life that they've gone through. And yet today, they are very much living today and its decisions based on what they experienced back there. I'm not saying that you can't learn from it, but look objectively at what you face today. Perhaps the thing that happened back there has absolutely no relation to what's happening today. And yet you are forcing it into that box because you're defined by that experience. Am I making any sense? You know, if I'm defined by things, by past experience, I will struggle with responding to changes and challenges in life. Yes, those things will influence me, but they may not be the sum of who I am. And so many people seem to let their whole life revolve around certain experiences or things and don't do it. Be more than that experience. Be more than that whatever it was. It may be a contributor in who you are, but it may not be the definition of who you are. Okay, moving on into another thing. Um, a human response to change. This one's more evident a couple years into it. But I told you so. I just thought that would happen. It's a near kinder looking back. Let's go to Exodus chapter 14. By the way, if you need to look at how uh, ways to respond to changing and things, you should go through Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Children of Israel had a lot of things going on. We're sort of hard on them. I'm not sure if we're all that much different, actually. But let's read Exodus chapter 14, verse 10 through 12. So here, they just left Egypt. They were uh, traveling to Canaan. Only problem being, uh, they had uh, taken the long way because, well, God basically said that if they would have had to fight the Philistines, they'd have turned around and gone back. Well, I don't know if I got all those verses here. They almost did anyway, didn't they? But let's read uh, Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. Then Pharaoh drew nigh, and the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Now, I want to give them one thing. They did right. They cried out to God. That was good. But they didn't, unfortunately, they didn't stop. They should have just cried out and let God work. But they went on to verse 11. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. I want to be clear this morning. I have absolutely no problem with, or I'm not trying to suggest to you that we should deny a need or an issue. You know, when the Egyptians are chasing you and you've got the Red Sea in front of you and the Egyptians behind you, it's totally fine to cry out to God. Please do. Yeah, at the same time, maybe give God a chance to work. Don't right away saying, oh, we just knew this would happen. Moses, if you just left us back there in Egypt, I mean, they had better grades back there anyway. And, you know, they brought the whole package in there. It, it became a jumbled mess. And it'd be better to be a slave in Egypt than to be free in a land of Canaan, really? Well, maybe for these fellows, I guess they all did die in the wilderness, didn't they? At least the older ones. Where do we go? Yes, cry out to God. But if there's a problem, and friends, let's go back to church thing. Let's not put some rosy tinted glasses on. In that whatever God has for us in the future. I'd rather go into it, not in a negative or uh pessimistic way get to that a bit later but in a realistic way that there's going to be challenges there's going to be some problems there's going to be times we disagree there's going to be times that we're tempted to make a problem out of things but where do i go have i told you so you know i've actually heard people i hope there's none of them words from here um i'm gonna 
I've heard somebody actually make the comment that churches who have outreaches always have church problems. I told you that already. You know what? If, you're, if we're going to approach this with that kind of attitude, we're going to have. We're going to need to cry out to God, trust me. Whether we do it or not, honestly. And that brings me to the next one that these fellows did is complaining. The third human response to change is complaining. You can go to Numbers 21 now. Numbers 21. And I am skipping over all kinds of complaining to get you there. If I would have read all the verses about complaining till then, uh, probably have a series of messages just on that. But uh, let's go to Numbers 21, verse 4 and 5. Talking about the children of Israel again. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. I can only imagine. I would be much discouraged, by the way, too. Even, I don't know what it was like back in these times exactly so far as water and stuff, but you dropped me over there. You know, if they didn't kill me before I got very far, the desert or something would. I, I can totally get they were much discouraged, by the way, okay? But here again is the problem. And the people, verse 5, spake against God and against Moses, complaining. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Uh-oh. Uh, you know, they just said they didn't have any bread. Now they say they don't like what they have. So a little difference there. And there was a need of water. I guess I'll just be painfully honest with you. I've been feeling a bit convicted. I'm not exactly sure when it registered on my mind. But I sort of like to complain. And I wasn't quite ready to give it up that all complaining is bad. I mean, there's if you got a good friend, sometimes it's fun to complain to them. I don't know why. And I'm not. So I want you to understand what I'm saying is to myself, first of all, I think there's still a time and a place to tell somebody that knows you well to share your heart, okay? And sometimes that lightens a load just talking. And sometimes there may be a bit of humor in complaining. I mean, sometimes, I think sometimes in some things I've said, I know it's not as bad. And uh, but some days I, I, I did realize and I was convicted that sometimes I just sort of get in a blue mood or mode and I like to fuss about it. And uh, I don't think it's all healthy. I'm not saying, yeah, it depends how it's done. I'll let that with you. But... Uh, I don't know why. I hope you're not like me, but it is sometimes just fun to fuss. And I'm not promising to quit fussing here now. It probably changed me a little too much. Uh, I'd hate if you didn't know who I was anymore. But do you know what I mean by fun to fuss? Okay, so take it to God, first of all. And I'm not saying, you know, if, if that's how you share the burden with your friend, go ahead and make a bit of a fuss, but be careful. I think there is a time and a place to do it. I can, for myself, I can quickly overdo it. Do I make a habit of making it loud and long? Am I as cynical as possible and as pessimistic about the outcome as absolutely just all the worst? Remember, complaining was actually a major thing. And when we complain, we're usually not very accurate. Okay, then the last point on things that we, the human response to changes is we fear the future if you don't turn back to numbers 13 now jumping around a bit here but we'll go to numbers 13 since you're there numbers 13 verse 31 we fear the future and i don't mean to be harsh and when i talk about this point because i think it's very real first of all i would say accept and own that possibly you fear the future I'm okay with that. I think God is okay with it. It's how you handle it that may be the problem. Let's stand while I read Numbers 13. Numbers 13, verse 31. This was after the 12 spies came back and were describing what they'd seen. And first of all, I didn't include those verses, but they actually admitted that they saw a wonderful land. They actually described it in their own words, flowing with milk and honey. So here's the rest of it. But then the men that went up with him, Caleb had just talked, with Caleb had said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report out of the land which they had searched out unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it, it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came out, 
which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. You can be seated again. You notice how fear brings exaggeration. Now, there was some big fellows there, okay? And if you'd send me up one to one against them, I would have had a big fear future problem too. I'm not trying to be harsh. At the same time, I find it interesting how they started stretching things. The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. That's a little odd. They were just there and they all 12 came back, but yet this land ate people up. I don't know exactly what they meant by that. I think it's just human response to being afraid. Well, so let that one... All the people in it, all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. Well, there again, I doubt it was true. There was some big fellas, and I'm not disputing that, but that everybody they saw was just big? I think not. I think there were some rather common-sized people there, if you read the rest of the context and the passage there. And, and Because then they go on and say, everybody was great. And then they went on and say, we saw the giants, and then we saw the real ones, the sons of Anak. In our own sight, we were as grasshoppers. Well, maybe so. If you're scared, you might feel pretty small. I'm not saying that. But then they went on and said that in their sight, they were grasshoppers too. Now, I've often wondered, how do you know how you look to someone else without being that person? I, did they go up and have a conversation with them? And so, Mr. Big Man, do I look like a grasshopper to you? I mean, if they were that scared, I can't see how they got that close. So you go figure. But what I'm saying is fear exaggerates and amplifies things. It just does. It's the nature of fear. And I've seen people fear a lot of things. Maybe especially church life brings it out sometimes. And I need to tread carefully here because I did not, trust me. I know we'd given out questionnaires, how you feel about outreach and all that, and I probably didn't forget every little bit of it. At the same time, I didn't go over those at all. So if you said something, I'm just going to talk just from my heart here for a bit, not trying to focus on anything. But I've seen so often people say that church isn't ready for this, not necessarily thinking just outreach. Maybe it's ordination. Maybe it's some other thing. I've often wondered when somebody makes that statement, what composes ready? Sometimes I almost get the thought that it seems like we can stay just like we are for an indefinite amount of time, but moving ahead is dangerous. Is that really true? Isn't it sometimes just as dangerous to try to stay just like I am? Isn't that just as spiritually dangerous as sometimes being willing to take a step in faith, even though maybe I don't see it? And I guess, especially for those of you that have grown up in a uh, Mennonite circles, one big problem Mennonites have is the church leadership. Have you ever noticed that? And I am firmly, and if you want to come argue with me afterwards, come to my place for lunch. I love you to death, but I'd like to argue with you that poor leadership is better than no leadership. And I'm not trying to, yeah, I'm not trying to make any comments about me as a leader or anything in saying that, but I've seen so many churches stall off ordination. Sometimes it's the bishop that does it. The next time it's the church and they get all gummed up and fogged up and they can't go anywhere and they can't go forward and they can't go backwards. And then they look to other churches to come rescue them from their own, I don't know, to me it looks like foolishness. Really, what composes ready? And I'm not trying, like I said, this is not at any individual or anything. I'm all for open counsel. But let's just say that you feel strongly our church is not ready for some of the, th the steps we're contemplating. May I ask you, what have you done to prepare our church for this? What composes ready? Does your view of ready come from fear? Does it come from a critical spirit? If you can honestly say it doesn't, well, then I would suggest you probably have done some things to help the church be ready and you will continue to do that. What have I invested in preparing my church to be ready for whatever God has for us? Let me say this. I feel in observing the little bit of life I've watched, it's just as possible to hinder God's work by being unwilling to move ahead 
as it is to hinder God's work by rushing ahead when we should wait or by saying no to when God asks us to do something. And so I'm not suggesting we blindly rush. Sometimes there is a time and a place to say, let's wait. Have some good reasons. That's great. Let's consider them. But when I'm always one person saying, oh, not that way. Oh, not now. Sometime later. Brother, sister, if you're always doing that, always on that bandwagon, there's something in your heart that you need to look at. It's just as possible to hinder God's work by being unwilling to move ahead as it is by rushing ahead or by saying no to God. Think about it. I'm not saying whether it's ordinations, whether it's church planting, whether it's some other aspect of church work. One thing I deeply appreciate about our church, and maybe y'all are going to kick me out for sure now, is that it, at least in my opinion, we don't move very fast. Um, some of the major things we've done here, if you want to call them that, it's been in process of years and years. And uh, sometimes, I'll just be honest, I got a little impatient sometimes. Uh, not saying that at anyone again, just sharing honestly. I thought sometimes it's a move, time to move ahead. At the same time, I also know some other churches that have taken up some of the same issues and within a matter of a month or two, have made even more changes, and I'm like, ooh, I guess I'm glad I am where I am after all, even though sometimes it uh, takes a bit. There's a place to be careful. There's a t place to wait. There's a place for all that. I'm not throwing that out. At the same time, are, you, are we just saying this because of a personal fear or preference to not move ahead? Or are we actually supporting God's work as it needs to move ahead? Another thing in uh, finishing up on fearing the future, for those of you older folks, I think we need a little help from you. We're going to beseech you here to help us, younger ones. I've heard so many older, and I don't mean to be expressing a lack of appreciation for older people in saying this, but I heard so many older people bemoaning the condition of the world and wondering how their children and grandchildren can possibly survive as Christians in their various ways of expressing it, that I got pretty discouraged with it. I mean, seriously, think about this for a minute. If you have your concerns about the future, so do I. If you're 80 and you're sitting there bemoaning, wondering what's going to happen in the next 20 years, guess what? More than likely, I'll have to live those 20 years and you don't. If you want to build me up or someone younger than me to do what God has for them to do in bad times, if you want to encourage them to live for God, you're not going to do it by sit, be, sitting there and cynically wondering how they will possibly survive. And this is one of my goals as I slowly get older, is to be an enthusiastic old person. Guess what? Yeah, maybe some of that shine has worn off just a little bit. But let's be excited about doing what God has. Back to my nephew, that was, there's some truth to that. When I sit around and bemoan all the things that are happening and will happen and could happen and possibly, you know, I want to inspire people to live for Christ whether young or old. And if, if you're in this category of older, please encourage the younger ones. You know, if, if I approach old age and I have the attitude that the next generation and two following me probably will barely be able to make it, guess what? They probably won't disappoint me. Be on fire for God is what I want. And then I want to inspire older or younger to live holy for Him. Because finally, that's the other thing. We can sit around endlessly and speculate about the future. But friends, I've almost had it. Uh, let, let's get on and live for God. Recount the things that God has done for you and those you know. You know, some of you know people I've only heard about from my parents or read about in books. Tell me how God worked in their life. Be an inspiration. Give encouragement. 
you know, it's great when you got a 20-year-old nephew telling you, well, hang in there, but, you know, it's be enthused about the problem God brings into your life. Well, yeah, <laughs> you just wait there, fella. Your turn's coming. But when somebody that's 70 or 80 says, you know, Joe, come on, be enthused about God's work. And they've been doing it for 40 years more than I am. It's like, yeah, wow, okay. Yes, sir, brother. I'll, I'll buck up and do it. Got it? Spread cheer and joy wherever you go. I, oh, I don't know. I've got a heart for old people. Don't get me. I'm not trying to beat them up. But I meet so many of them. Oh, they're just so bad and so sad. Really? I mean, your battle's almost over. Have some joy in your heart. Spread some cheer. I mean, anyway, I could really... Shouldn't be preaching to old people. I haven't done it yet. I'm sorry if I come across too strong. But I hope you understand what I'm saying. You know, if the future looks bleak, I'll give you one place you can go share it. Is go tell God. Go tell God that my, my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, they're going to need some strength from you, Lord. They ain't going to make it. That's just fine. You do it in your closet. I'm good with that. But when we sit around Sunday afternoons or family gatherings and these people endlessly, morosely talk about how horrible life is going to be and how these young generations just ain't going to make it, uh, give me a break. If you want to do it, please tell me so that I can leave because it, it bothers me. Okay. Do not let the unknown fears and worries of the future hinder your joy and service in today. May I say that again? Don't let the unknown fears and worries of the future hinder your joy and service in today. I want to look at some Christ-like responses to change now. Uh, some of these won't take real long, but like I said, I think Jason preached on contentment, so I'll make this fairly brief. But content with where I am, content with what I have. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Philippians 4, verse 11 and 13, Paul again, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I'd use this verse last Sunday in a little different context. But, you know, was Paul bragging about how he can manage under every circumstance? I don't think so. He was simply saying that with God in his heart, he's got enough. With God in his heart, he doesn't need anything else. Because he goes on in verse 13 and says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You know what, friends? I don't know. Yes. The future, that's one of the hard things is what happens to a business? What happens to this depending on what happens? I don't know. But one thing I can know, one thing I can be secure in is that with Christ in my heart, I've got enough. If that's not enough, I've got a problem I need to stop and consider. You know, a person unhappy and discontent, fearful in the place where they currently are, does not make a good candidate for any other place at any other time. Unless, until we can learn contentment, the rest of it's sort of a waste. And just quickly, I've talked to you about this already, so I won't take time, but don't stop with feeling content. Express thankfulness, right? Express it. Express it to God. Express it to the people around you. Let them know they're thankful. You know, I'm so thankful for y'all, and I'm not just saying it because I'm preaching. I honestly don't know what I'd be without you as a church. So thankful for God. Where would I be without him? Enough. You know how to do it. Go for it. Okay. A Christ-like response to change is serve wholeheartedly in what's before you. I think so often we can think service would be easier over here, better over there. You can go on and on. I'd like to read Colossians 3, verse 22 through 24 through you. And in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul tells us that if we are not a servant or a slave, we're supposed to be Christ's servants. So now use that context, Colossians 3, verse 22. Servants, all of you, all of me, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. I heard a little bit of a discussion in Sunday school, and it uh, 
I guess you were probably glad I was busy because I left you talking, didn't jump in. Uh, a little bit about working. You know, one thing I struggle with is, I hope you understand, it's not that I have a, necessarily a negative view of you if you do this, but yes, I started a, a business. Yes, I hire some people to help with that. But I personally don't really care to have those of you that work with me to say that they work for me or for a company I started because it's nothing. It's sometimes fine for placement to tell somebody that you work with so-and-so. I get that, and that's great. But I just don't like, personally, it's not really my goal is not really to be a business owner. It's not something I want to be defined by, if you want to say it that way. And I came across an article that really blessed me in this thought of work. And maybe it encapsulates or puts together quickly what I really, how I really feel about it. There was this, uh, I took it as a professing Christian, had started a rather large company. And one day, he had other Christians and non-Christians working for him. One day, one of the Christians asked if they could just have a Christian meeting of people that worked in this company. And he said, well, yeah, sure. Um, so they had a meeting, and he, as the one that had started it, gave a bit of a speech, and then he left one of the other Christians get up and talk to the others. And uh, the second one that got up shared his heart for seeing whatever he does as doing it to God and not unto men. And he said for him as the owner, or at least a large share of the owner, and for many of the other Christians there, he said something clicked that had never clicked for them before. And he said it revolutionized their company because people started working for God in the job they had rather than just filling that role. And I'm not saying this at all because for those of you that I work with that I think you have a problem, I'm saying it to myself. But would it make a difference in how I feel my rule, whatever that is, if what I did was done to Christ? Would it make a difference how I answer the phone? Would it make a difference in how I deal with an ordinary customer? Would it make a difference in how I use my profit if I really saw everything I do as done for Christ rather than propping up some company name or some individual name? Does that make sense? I think it would for me. Would it make a difference in how I did my work? Would it make a difference in the attitude I have as I work? And probably one, and I'll just say this because I think some of the ones I work with are much better at this than I am. And I like to get things done. And I, so when I set a schedule, I sort of like to have it complete at the end of the day. And so those of you who work with me, we can talk about this tomorrow morning if you want. Uh, <clears throat> It's not, I'm not having any problem that I'm trying to preach you over the pulpit, just to be clear. But yet, one thing God's been trying to teach me is that the people we work for are much more important than the job we do, right? And some of you do a superb job of doing that, and I bless you in that. Because finally, yeah, part of it is, but I think somehow in Mennonite culture so often doing what we have to do heartily is unto the Lord somehow means that we work like ferocious workaholics and that's that's stupid that's not what it means it means that we have god's priorities as we go throughout our day right that what we do is well done yes but not because i'm an amish or mennonite background person but because i'm doing it for christ i take time for people even if it means that the next job doesn't get done not because i'm so pr oriented but because i'm serving christ and his priority is people over doors next last point in uh being Christ-like and facing change, is be surrendered in the things God is asking of you today. I'll just read you Christ in the garden, some verses here, not all of them, but just listen. And he, Christ, began to be very sorrowful, be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto his disciples, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Tell ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, as thou wilt. One of the other gospels says somewhere in here that he sweated, as it were, great drops of blood of anguish. 
He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he left them again and went away and prayed the third time, saying the same words. You know, this morning, friends, I can look at Christ in the garden. I can look at other people whose story I know a bit about and at those times of terrible stress of ultimate surrender, if you will, I can say, oh God, I would like to have that in my life. Because I do. But let me tell you, where does it start? Friends, surrender starts right here, right now. Right here, right now. Do I surrender those daily rubs? Those things that just get my hair standing up a little bit things I don't like? Do I surrender the desire to be somewhere else doing something else? God, that'd be so much more interesting than what I have to do. I'm just stuck doing this. Do I surrender how I use my resources and even having resources? Do I surrender my rights, those rights that are oh so important to red-blooded Americans? Are they just all gods? I want to be clear. I would say at times surrender is an experience. Other times surrender is a journey. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you find yourself on that journey, I'm not trying to heap condemnation on you one little bit. But make sure you're in the journey of surrender. Both are fine, the experience or the journey. But am I in process of being surrendered every day in anything? Would you open your Bibles one last time to second, for this, to 2 Corinthians 4? 2 Corinthians 4. I'd like to read verse 7 through 18. I'm not sure what I said now, sorry. It's 2 Corinthians 4, just to be clear. Verse 7. In case I said that wrong. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, or if I was to put it in our words today, we have this treasure, this gift in this body, this earthen vessel, that the excellency of power may be of God and not of us. In other words, that God shows his power through something as weak and as useless and as nothing as this, Joe, you. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body or shown in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh that God, that Christ would show himself through us. So then, death worketh in us but life in you. We have the same spirit of faith as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up also us, excuse me, up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might be through the thanksgiving, through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, doesn't always seem light, but in eternity it is, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You know, y'all, this morning, there's one way that my nephew is right. And that I think I have left, sometimes probably will again, let my enthusiasm for building God's ping- kingdom somewhat ebb because of the difficulties I find. And to know that God puts his power in something as weak, as feeble, as really, aside from his love for me, useless as me, and then use it to build his kingdom is something to be enthusiastic about, no matter how I feel about the rest. So just to recap a couple points. Don't let the past distract you from the present. 
Don't let the unknown fears and worries of the future hinder your joy and service today. You know, talk about being defined. Am I defined by contentment in every state and in every stage? Am I defined by my desire for God? Am I defined by my desire to be surrendered to God's will? God writes his best stories in the bleakest of moments. God writes his best stories in the bleakest of moments. Is he writing his best story with you? Are you going to hang in there for him? Back to that tree. Take a look at it next time you drive past. I don't know what that tree experienced. And I know that tree didn't have a choice in how to respond. But that tree, in spite of whatever made it so gnarly and twisted, is still doing what a tree is supposed to do, growing, right? It's bigger now than it was 19 years ago. How about you? How about me? Have we left the things of life stunt us, hinder us? Are we still growing in God even though maybe it shaped us to some extent? Remember, God writes his best stories through the difficult times. Let's kneel forward for prayer.